Amy and Azure for your ministry and music. I'd invite you to turn with me to our scripture reading for this morning, which can be found in Romans chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Again, that's Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, the page number for this passage is 1,206 in the Bibles that are found under your pews. Romans chapter 14, and I'll begin at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, while we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I personally enjoy a story or a plot line that has a twist. I like it when things turn out in a very unexpected manner. I enjoy mysteries. I enjoy them more when uh, I cannot predict halfway through the novel how the mystery is going to turn out. I like to be surprised. Well, this morning we have what I see in this text as a twist. It turns out in an unexpected manner. It's a way in which I would not have originally expected. Last week, we saw that we were not to argue over different religious beliefs and practices. Romans 14.1 was the key verse that says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So we are not to be divided over our religious convictions. We are to welcome those who have different convictions from that of our own. Nor are we to fight about those difference, differences in the religious convictions. 
So one might mistakenly come to the conclusion that these religious differences of opinion don't really matter. That it would be best to simply ignore such differences, or at least to downplay their significance. One might think that these religious differences are not really all that important, that there might be bigger issues to be concerned about. However, the Apostle Paul does not suggest that in order to accept others with different religious convictions, that we need to, or even should, soften our own stand on our convictions. In fact, the call is quite opposite. If you look at Romans 14.5, which is our theme verse for today, Romans 14.5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Now note this, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Rather than to minimize the differences, it says that every believer is called to be fully convinced of their religious convictions. To be fully convinced is to be fully assured or certain regarding one's own religious beliefs and practices. So we are called to exercise certainty as far as what we believe and how we behave. We are to have assurance that what we believe is right. And the way that we are conducting ourselves is exactly the way that God would have us conduct ourselves. We are to be convinced, to be sure. All at the same time, that we're called on not to argue and not to split, but yet be fully convinced. There's the twist. I would think it would say, well, it doesn't really matter. Just get along, you know, just, just uh, come together and just say, well, we're gonna agree not to, you know, we're gonna agree to disagree and, and uh, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much. These things aren't all that important. No, it says that we need to be fully convinced. We need to have certitude that what we believe is right. Our, <clears throat> our certainty, though, must come about not as a result of prejudice, but out of a true understanding uh, of the will of God. We are encouraged to come to certainty in areas where sincere Christians disagree. Every believer is to be fully convinced with regard to the appropriateness of his or her own beliefs and or practices, for he or she must give an account. This being fully convinced is in direct relationship to confidence in knowing the will of God. The bigger context, if you would flip back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, 
Verse 2, switch to the ESV. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing through discernment, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That is each believer's responsibility to examine the will of God as to what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. And having examined and having come to that conclusion, then to hold fast with all tenacity to accomplishing and doing the will of God. So obviously, in order for that to occur, there needs to be some preparation. First, there needs to be much study. There needs to be a careful analysis of what the Word of God has to say. This morning, we are going to be talking about the different views that the Jews and the Gentiles had of the Sabbath. I'm not going to go into great detail about those differences, nor am I going to examine in great detail what the Scriptures have to say. But you could easily paint a scenario in which people would come to very different conclusions, although there's a correct one, although there's a right one. And so we need to be careful that when we study the scriptures, we, we just don't throw up our hands in the air and say, you know, good Christians, they disagree about these things. It just doesn't matter. No, we are absolutely, we're actually encouraged by God to come to a firm conclusion, not be wishy-washy, not to say, well, these things nobody can know. Uh, they are beyond us. They don't really matter. No, it says be fully convinced in your own mind. So it needs study. It needs reflection. Reflection. Meditation, if you will. A sitting back and reflecting on what the Word of God says and how we are living our lives. Uh, I'm reading a book at the present time on the, last, uh, on the lost art of meditation. And this book is uh, emphasizing the fact that when we talk about Christian meditation, we're not talking about Eastern meditation, where Eastern meditation seeks to empty their mind of all things. But in Christian meditation, we seek to fill our minds with the truth of God's Word. And, of course, uh, many of us have Psalm 1 memorized, um, which my mind just went blank, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the godly, nor standeth the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. To, to reflect upon to chew upon what the Word of God has to say and how that impacts our decisions, how that impacts our lifestyle, how that dictates how we are to live. So it takes much study, it takes much reflection, and it takes much prayer that we would submit ourselves, that we would allow the Word of God to, to change our hearts and minds. The Scripture says, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Uh, 
Jesus, the Word of God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. There are general attitudes that our society has that are, are wrong. And many times when we come to faith, we come with those general uh, misunderstandings about life, about God, about our freedom, about what it means to be in spiritual bondage. And so we need uh, prayer that God would open our hearts and minds, that we'd be willing to submit to the truth, that we would be willing to be instructed, that we would be taught, that we would grow in our understanding. So many times in the scripture, the admonition is to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to increase in our, in our understanding of the will of God. So with all those predicates of how difficult and how careful we need to be, yet the conclusion is that we can, should come to a place of settled commitment and understanding of truth. That this is what the Word of God says. And I order my life around what the Word of God says. So we are to be fully convinced in our own minds. <clears throat> the ultimate reason is given in verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. There's the ultimate reason. Uh, I have tipped my hand. There will be no twist this morning. Uh, it's going to come to a logical conclusion right where we expect it to. But this morning, I want us to consider why do we need to be thoroughly convinced concerning our beliefs and practices. Why is that important? We're talking about unity. We're talking about getting along. We're talking about welcoming one another without argument. So in the light of all that, why is this interjected that we are to have certainty concerning our own beliefs and practices? Three reasons. First, because every believer is to live his or her life to the honor and glory of God out of a spirit of thankfulness. Let me say that again, because every believer is to live his or her life to the honor and glory of God out of a spirit of thankfulness. Notice verse six. It's talking about the differences regarding the observance of a particular day, such as a feast day or a Sabbath day, and the differences regarding eating meat and not eating meat. Verse six. The one observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. There is a basic trust that is evidenced in this text that each person has a proper motivation in the choices that they make. That is, they are seeking to honor the Lord. That is the basis of our commonality. That's the common ground that we are to manifest as we hold to our differences. As though we might actually have positions that are antithetical to each other, such as you may eat or you may not eat, or one day is more important than another, or one day is all alike, those are antithetical positions. Uh, there's no middle ground there. They're, those are opposites. And yet, 
there is this statement that the one who eats, eats in honor to the Lord. The one who abstains, abstains in honor to the Lord. So there not to be a questioning concerning an individual's spirituality or committedness. Now it should be noted that in the original the word honor does not appear. It merely states that one does so to the Lord. So if we were following the Greek text, it would read like this. The one who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. The one who eats, eats to the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains to the Lord. But the idea here of honor is appropriate. It helps us to understand what it means to the Lord. To the Lord. That is, that we are seeking to serve the Lord in the manner in which we are living. Again, that's the commonality. That, that's the ground level. We're to be treating each other as believers with respect. And it's important we're talking about believers here. But believers with differences. But our common ground is that we are seeking to serve the Lord, even though we have different convictions, whether by eating or not eating, whether by esteeming one day or not one day. What is in view is a willing submissiveness to the Lord. They, in fact, are seeking to be a faithful servant. Again, if you would look back to Romans 12, verse 1, seeing how this whole text fits together. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present our bodies is to use our bodies to serve the Lord. In Romans chapter 6, earlier the it was uh, demonstrated that we were not to present our bodies, Romans 6.13, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from the dead to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So we are to present ourselves, our, our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears, we are to present our actions, our activities, our ambitions, our desires to do the will of God. That's how each and every one of us is to live. That's how each and every one of us is to conduct ourselves. And that's how each and every one of us are to make our decisions. As we live out our days, how can I best serve God? How can I best honor him? How can I fulfill the will of God? That is commendable. That's our mutual basis. And then secondly, what is most commendable is when that service arises out of a sincere thankfulness. It is in appreciation for what the Lord has done that they are living to him. Notice verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Key word in verse 6 is the word since. Since, because he gives thanks to God. 
That is what makes this desire to honor the Lord acceptable in his sight. It is out of a sense of thankfulness, of appreciation for what God has done for us. Again, this is the practical application of Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, based on the mercies of God, based on all that God has done for us, we ought to present ourselves to God to do his will. In gratitude for God's mercy in our sinful condition, that we now have the opportunity to serve and to honor him. That is to be the motivation. But having said that, it demonstrates how difficult it is then to be this person who's fully convinced in their own minds. For this passage teaches us that we are going to encounter Christians who, number one, are extremely committed. Number two, are motivated by a desire to honor God. And third, are extremely thankful for what God has done in their lives. Now, all of that is extremely commendable, right? People who are committed, people who are sincere, people who want to do the will of God. But that's what makes it so difficult then to become certain in your own mind. For you are going to find very fine Christians that don't agree with you. You are going to find very committed Christians who see things in a different perspective than you. That's the basis of walking in them. But it's also the challenge then to be fully convinced in our own mind. To come to a conclusion and be able to say, yeah, I understand, they're committed, I'm not, I'm not questioning that. They want to honor the Lord, I'm not questioning that. They love the Lord and are grateful for what God has done. I'm not questioning that. But yet, I can't agree with their conclusion. I, I can't go where, where they come out at. I don't see the scripture as teaching that particular doctrine. That is the struggle. That is the proper balance of demonstrating appreciation for our brother, but not letting our brother or sister dictate to our own conscience what the word of God actually says. So we have to go a step further. And again, ask, why do we need to be thoroughly convinced concerning our beliefs and practices? Answer, because every believer is to live their life to the Lord to whom we belong. Every believer is to live their life to the Lord to whom we belong. First, we're not to live our lives merely to please ourselves. Verse 7. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. We are not an entity apart from God. There is more to take into consideration than, certain, than simply what we enjoy, what we like, 
what we find to be pleasurable, what we don't find to be pleasurable. This isn't just about our whims. This isn't just about our preferences. <laughs> and we all have them. We all have things that we like and things that we don't like. This is not hold on to those things you like and reject the things you dislike. And that's often what Christians do. They often say, well, I enjoy this, and I don't particularly enjoy that, and so I'm going to do what I enjoy, and I'm going to fight for what I enjoy. No, it's not about us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our desires. It's out of a desire to live to the honor and glory of God. Put another way, we are not to be pleasing ourselves, we are to be pleasing the Lord. Verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. And so we say, even with the Lord Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. Not what we want, but what God wants. The purpose for which God has redeemed us is that we would live our lives for him. Verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again. For this purpose. That he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. That he would rule over us in both our life and our death. That we would be in subjection unto him. That's why we need to know his will. That's why we need to do his will. 1 Corinthians says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? That is this body you have from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You owe it to God to glorify him in the way in which you exercise the use of your body. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Who, that is Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we are to be uh, ambitious, zealous, seeking to do good. So we are not to be living our lives merely to please ourselves. And then secondly, we are not to be living our lives in order to please others. We are not to make our decisions based on what is going to make other people happy, what is going to make other people pleased with us, what are going to make other people delighted with what we do. Pastor Hartman is an individual that had a tremendous amount of influence on my life. I served as his assistant pastor, and I gleaned just an incredible amount of wisdom from him. He, he always had a lot of very helpful things to say. And uh, one of the things he said to me was, Cal, never discipline your children in order to please your people. Do what you believe is right. You have to live with the consequences, and you have to stand before God. You have to do what you believe is right. 
I appreciated that wisdom. That's not only earthly wisdom, that's godly wisdom. That's what this passage is saying. That each and every one of us has this responsibility before God to live our lives in a way that are pleasing to Him. We gotta wrestle with that. We're the ones that have to deal with the consequences. We're the ones that have to deal with the fallout. We're the ones that are ultimately going to have to deal with the way we reared our children. And we're the ones that are going to have to stand before God one day. Which brings us to Ephesians. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Thirdly, why do we need to thoroughly be convinced concerning our beliefs and practices? Because ultimately it is God to whom we are accountable and not each other. It is God to whom we are accountable and not each other. Since it is God to whom each of us must give account, we should not view ourselves as superior to others. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? This is a pickup of what was earlier said in chapter 14. To pass judgment on the brother is to condemn the brother as uh, doing what is wrong. Despising the brother is to, is to look down upon, uh, to feel superior to. Why do you do that? For ultimately, it is God to whom we must give account. Notice the end of verse 10. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We are not going to be trying each other in heaven. We are not going to be giving our two cents when we stand before God as to what we thought other people should or shouldn't do. We're not going to rise up in judgment and say, I knew you shouldn't be doing that. I told you you shouldn't be doing that. We're out of the picture. We are not going to be judging one another. We are not going to be giving an account in that way before God. Each of us are going to be standing before God and him alone and giving account to him for what we have done. Notice verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That is the one to whom we give account. Notice verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're back to that same idea. It's reiterated time and time and time again. We are accountable to God for the way in which we live our lives. Therefore, be sure in the way in which you live your life. Be confident 
in the way in which you choose to act. Be sure that the beliefs that you hold are the beliefs of the Word of God. He is to be the Lord of our life, the Lord of our convictions, the Lord of our decisions. Just as the world is tempted with peer pressure, and we all know and have heard stories about peer pressure, and the Word of God is aware that there is peer pressure. In Romans 12, verse 2, be not conformed, do not be pressured by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the changing of your mind, by this understanding of the will of God. Well, just as there is worldly peer pressure, there is Christian peer pressure. There are ways in which people think we should act. There are ways in which people think we should conduct ourselves. There are beliefs that they believe that we should have, and there are beliefs that we believe that we shouldn't have. And there is this pressure to conform. It's that which Romans 12 verse uh, Romans 14, verse 1, is addressing that we are to welcome one another, but not to argument. But it is possible to talk about our differences without arguing. It is possible to teach certainty without ridicule, without mocking, without putting other people down. If we really want to honor and serve the Lord together, we can examine the scriptures and do like the Berean church to see if these things are so. Is this what the word of God really teaches? And if it is, then that's what we do, not because we are forced to do it, but because we want to do it. It's out of our love for God. It's with a spirit of thankfulness which is so different from legalism, which says, this is the way you must, must perform, this is the way you must act, and people get all upset and they get rebellious inside, and they say, I don't know why I have to do this, I don't know why I have to act that way, and they are rebelling to being other, under other people's authority and control. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who come to a realization of the authority of the Word of God who come to belief in what the Word of God dictates for us about lives of holiness and righteousness and of goodness, and says, I'm committing myself to that. And collectively, we are trying to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to have greater understanding, greater certainty as to what the Word of God teaches. That's what we're called to as a body of Christ. That's what we're called to as a people of God so that one day we can stand before him and hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what we should all want. And I believe that's what we all do want. That's the basis of our unity. That's the basis of our respect. That's the basis of our welcoming one another. We want to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Now, while we may not all agree as to what's going to be welcomed and what is going to be praised and what is not going to be praised, we all should be working hard at understanding the Scriptures, submitting ourselves to the authority of the Word of God, not the authority of human beings, but the authority of the Scriptures. What does the Bible say? And then live it out, committedly, to his honor and to glory, with a spirit of thankfulness, out of an appreciation for all that what God has done for us, with a joyful anticipation that when we stand before God, that in fact we are going to hear those words, well done thou good and faithful servant. Not everyone hears those words. Not everyone will have done well. Not everyone will be praised. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, heaven's a wonderful and blissful place. Don't get me wrong. It will be a joy to be in the presence of God. But how much more joyous to hear the praise of our Lord. Well done. Well done. We need to live our lives in such a way that we're confident that when we stand before him, we're going to hear, well done. Well done. And if in the back of our mind we are uncertain, or worse, we are convicted, and we say, you know, I haven't been living my life in a way that I think he's going to say, well done. I have been living my life for myself. I have been committing sinful acts. I have not really desired to honor and glorify him. I haven't really been all that concerned that everything I do is in keeping with the will of God. Then repent. Then from this day forward, say, I'm going to seek to live for him. And be sure. Not based on preferences. Not based on what you like and what I like. Not based on what religious leader you follow or don't follow. But on the basis of the word of God. What does the Bible say? Let everyone be fully convinced in their own mind because each one of us will stand before the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord, I pray that with humility that we can approach your word. That we would identify with Isaiah who said, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Oh, Lord, so many times we hit real twists in the scriptures from what we think, from what the Word of God says. Doctrines, practices, things that, that we think are right, that aren't right, things that we think are wrong, which are acceptable. So, oh, Lord, first of all, give us a spirit of wisdom. Give us this desire to know the will of God, to know it with certainty, not with a false dogmatism, not with prejudice, but with studied, reasoned, reflective, prayerful 
certainty that says this is what the Word of God says. And we praise you, O God, that we can have certainty. We thank you, O God, for what the Reformers referred to as the purposecuity of scriptures, that they are clear, that they are plain, that we can arrive at truth. We don't have to throw up our hands and say, well, the Bible can say anything you want it to say. But Lord, may we realize that when you approach the Word of God in humility with submission to the text, you can indeed arrive at truth. And Lord, give us the humility to recognize that we all are on a journey. We are all growing. We are all developing. We're all maturing. We're all refining what we believe. We all are coming under conviction. Lord, thank you for the work of your spirit. Continue to strive with us. Give us a sensitivity to your spirits striving with us. May we not be rebellious. May our hearts not be hardened. May our necks not, not be stiffened. But Lord, and may we not quench the working of your spirit, but when you convict us, oh God, help us to repent. Help us to live in keeping with that conviction, that working of your spirit. Oh Lord, give us grace in dealing with one another. Give us real love. Give us appreciation that they are people for whom you have died. They are people who will stand before you. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we understand that they too desire to honor you and they desire to love you. And on that basis of fellowship and communion, may we help each other. As the word of God refers to iron sharpening iron, Lord, may we be helpful to one another in growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be perfect, that we might be mature, that we would stand before you and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.